For our second scripture reading, we're going to be reading out of the book of Philippians. You can find this on page 1830 of your Pew Bibles, or you should be able to find it right up on the screen. Again, we'll be reading Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts against, excuse me, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This ends the end of our reading. Again, it is my uh, honor and privilege to lead you in worship this morning. Uh, Pastor Corey had uh, taken some time off for a staycation, which is well uh, needed and well deserved, as many of us know. Um, so I had uh, really had a time trying to figure out what the message should be today. And uh, just going through several verses and things in the Bible, I, uh, I came across this one in Philippians that I kind of thought fits what's going on in today's world. So um, I can only hope and pray that this is uh, a message that will resound with everybody here and those who are watching. And that uh, our, our hearts will be changed a little bit um, as we think about these things and, and not uh, worry so much about what's going on in the world today. Twenty twenty, a milestone in history, a year signified by the first two numbers matching the second and an introduction into a new decade. A unique year combination that will be unlike any other, not seen for the next 101 years until the year 2121. 2020, like any other preceding year, was thought to be an exciting year filled with so many things that people look forward to. Things like the Summer Olympic Games in Tokyo, where people from all walks of life come together to compete in the games. An event that, regardless of what's going on in the world, seems to unite people together regardless of their differences. Then there's things like the new rover mission to Mars and space exploration. The announcement of the latest advances in medical technology, one of which would actually help in preventing serious reactions to those who suffer from peanut allergies. In 2020, there's to be a deluge of movies and videos and TV shows, new streaming services for our own entertainment. We were to begin breaking ground with new innovations such as the new high-speed rail in the United States. And this year was a scheduled baseball game of dreams, which was to occur this month in August. The New York Yankees and the Chicago White Sox would meet in the middle of a cornfield in Dyersville, Iowa, to play a special Field of Dreams-inspired baseball game 
which was said to draw a crowd of more than 8,000 to their tiny stadium. And let's not forget all the other important things that meant something personal to us. Things like high school and college graduations, weddings, family gatherings, sporting events, vacations and summertime activities. The list goes on and on. Sadly though, 2020 has turned out to be nothing more than the things that we did not receive things that we look forward to. Instead, it seems as though as a dark veil has been thrown over us, as the light on our country and the world seems to be slowly fading away. First, we've seen in, in early of the year the brush fires in Australia wreaking havoc and devastation on their lands, destroying wildlife and forests, which would have impacts around the globe. Then there's the intensifying unrest in the Middle East, with tensions growing in Iran against other nations in their quest over nuclear weapons, and most recently, the blast in Beirut. The United Kingdom had begun its final separation with the European Union, which was feared to cause economic collapse. And tensions between the United States and China continue to become more acute over trade and national security. In our own country, we continue to become more divided as our nation's president had come under impeachment trials and the election politics began to increase in division between political parties. And then there comes the introduction of a worldwide pandemic coined as COVID-19. An unknown disease that itself has so many conspiracy theories behind it that, that it causes and inspires confusion, anxiety, and fear everywhere you look. And if that wasn't enough, we have the rise of fuel debates over race and racism and violent protests by which society has now painted our nation's law enforcement majority with a broad brush as evil racists giving the rise to the defund the police campaign and the new culture change narrative. A narrative that would have us forget what our history was so that everyone can just feel better about themselves. Seems pretty bleak doesn't it? It certainly doesn't give a person any sense of security, peace, and satisfaction, and it certainly doesn't have the appearance of a bright, filled future with new possibilities. And now there's the shutdown of our schools, churches, businesses, and our economy. There's the implementation of new rules and executive orders telling you, you how and where you can go and when and where you can engage in social activities and even worship gatherings. There's the 24-7 media reporting of all ongoing hate and turmoil in our cities concerning alleged racism and oppression that occupies people with concern, confusion, and apprehension, all the while they're asking themselves, what is going on? What is the truth behind all these things? And just when you think it couldn't get any worse, all of these things have reared up in our political system, fueling the fire on partisan politics where lies, jabs, slanders are freely thrown at one another, leaving little confidence on our own government leaders. Something which was widely publicized by the media and resonates with Americans who are now seemingly pitted against each other. If you notice the last election, everything was divided right down the middle. That's how divided we are. Dark times seems to have certainly come upon us, and it is certainly can be easy for someone to become apprehensive, troubled, and even downright depressed. 
These things inspired anxiousness and worry among so many that we seem just to focus on all the negative predicaments of our time and the things of our world. So much that people are afraid to come out in their homes and even back to the church for worship, for they fear that they might become the next statistic, become confronted about their feelings or their beliefs, or even succumb to the coronavirus. Maybe you know someone who has these fears. Maybe you know someone who is troubled that they have may lost their faith. Maybe you have even had these thoughts yourself. For me, I know I have personally felt the impact of such things going on in our society today. You see, as a public servant, ever since the incident in Minneapolis that ended the life of George Floyd across our nation, people have rose up spreading lies, hatred, and darkness towards everyone who serves their communities in law enforcement. Half-truths, misinformation, and selective short video clips broadcast on television have fueled the fire over which has become something that has taken its toll on the men and women who have swore an oath to serve their neighbors. All these things were continually repeated. One could begin to think that this might actually be true. Certainly it left our communities wondering about all those who serve and second-guessing themselves so much that even I could sense and see significant changes in how people interacted with law enforcement right here in our own community. And the sad part was, I myself was caught in the snare that was laid out by the evil one because of my own self-short-sightedness. You see, I became so wrapped up in the thought of, of our worldly trials in our current time that I began feeling a little bit downcast, to the point where I actually allowed my faith to waver. Even to the point where I stopped praying on a daily basis. My inner peace and my joy declined to the point that the line of communication between myself and my Savior weakened and my relationship with Him and His Spirit declined. Each day I would come home from work, flip on the news, and receive my daily beating for hours as I watched on television. And with the closure of our church for the short time and the shutdown of our study groups and Bible studies, my passion for, for the Lord and the fire that I had for Him, uh, which was so great, had come down to a smoldering flicker. It was quite some time before I realized that I had taken my eyes off what was really important, what really mattered. I took my eyes off of Jesus, the prize in the sky, if you will. You see, like you, I chose to follow a God and Savior who came to this earth to bring life, truth, joy, and peace to all people. Now, I could either wander away as a sheep being led to slaughter, or I could seek out and to find that truth in order to restore my peace, my joy, and my spirit. Now, some will say that this is the new normal, the things that we need to get used to. Some say that this is the beginning of the end times, the beginning of sorrows. As grim as it looks, I would like to think that this is a season, a season of trial, a season of teaching, and a season of faith. You see, God didn't create such things just for us to endure them. But he can put us in the midst of such things in order to strengthen our faith and to do good works according to his will. During the reign of King David, 
in 1010 to 970 BC, David seems to have a similar experience during his tenure in Israel, which inspired him to compose the 12th Psalm. Here we see David cry out to God saying, Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the earth and from the human race. Do you see these similarities today? Here we see that the people of Israel during David's time and the people of our time seem to have a lot in common. As a Christian today, have you ever wondered where are all the faithful people of God and where have they gone to? Why haven't the good taken such a stand against evil things occurring in our society and against those who are spreading that evil? Why has alienation and hatred begun to flourish? There was an English statesman by the name of Edmund Burke, and he once said, The only thing necessary for triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Now and in the time of David, that statement seems to ring true. As David continues his cry, we see in verse 2 that he makes his complaint to our Lord, saying, Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but they harbor deception in their hearts. Again, this is something that we see every day in various places around the globe, in our own country and right here in our own communities. Worse yet, we see it daily in our political system as, as partisan politics seem to take the stage, pitting one opponent against the other, spreading lies in our society and inciting a, a hate rhetoric towards one another. And as we watch on television or read in social media feeds, we can get sucked in by something that's not entirely true or maybe completely false. Conflicting stories and mixed messages from our government leaders, our medical health experts, can inspire and inflict short-sightedness, anxiety, and in fear. It's fairly obvious they too have taken their eyes off the prize and wandered away from what is the truth. So how do we overcome all of this stuff that keeps us downcast? What exactly is the truth? Funny, because this is a question that Pontius Pilate even asked during Jesus' so-called trial. In the book of John, in chapter 14, verse 6, it records the truth as this. And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to Father except through me. You see, like King David, I believe that all the faithful people were beginning to vanish, leaving only those who lie to their neighbor while flattering with them lips still existed. Nobody was taking a stand. Nobody was coming to the defense. And the people were staying home in anxiety and fear. But like King David, I realized that, that all I needed to do was focus on Christ Jesus and not the perplexities of our world around me. And as David made his petition to God with a statement of confidence in him, I too could call out to our Lord for the removal of my distress to regain my peace and joy in these dark times. In his article entitled, Why We Worry About the Things We Shouldn't, author Jeffrey Kluger had this to say about worry, fear, and anxiety. As human beings, we pride ourselves on being the only species that understands the concept of risk. Yet we have a confounding habit of worrying about the mere possibilities while ignoring the probabilities. 
of building barricades against perceived dangers while exposing ourselves to the real danger. So how do we eliminate worry, anxiety, and fear and regain that peace and joy we cherish so much? How can we have these things during the times like these uh, while living in, in such a dark world? First, I can certainly tell you it's not by going to the Great Wolf Lodge, Hilton Head, or the Florida Keys. Although we could find some sort of short-lived happiness in those places, what we need to do is seek out the true peace and joy that comes from that which can endure. As my friend Buzz Lightyear would always say, to infinity and beyond. As we find this by seeking no farther than the scripture written in our own Bibles. Remember what Christ tells us. Ask, and it will be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives or asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. So let's seek together and find the answers to these questions. As we read in our second scripture reading in his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul wrote us and provides us with the answer that we're looking for. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes his final exhortations beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gladness and gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, just to set the stage and refresh your memory, uh, we need to remember that Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in Philippi while he is sitting in a prison in Rome. And although Paul was enduring more darkness than we could ever imagine, he remained focused on one thing, and that is Jesus. He simply refused to go down with the ship. Now, this is a dude that's been shipwrecked three different times. He's been stoned, beaten, Scourged over five different times, beaten with fists, rods, and evil words. He had been chased, he had been slandered, he had been scandalized, the focus of riots and of death threats, and the victim of a near-death experience. And to top it off, this poor fellow even got bit by a snake. But yet he remained focused. His energy and resilience was, was so outstanding that the only thing that ever seemed to bother him and even coming close to discouraging him was problems in the young churches. So let's see how Paul encouraged the Philippians and how his message should remove our dismay and encourage us here today. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
I will say it again. Rejoice! Paul doesn't just make a suggestion to the people of Philippi. He commands them. Rejoice! You see, this is a big deal, insomuch that, that Paul had repeated what he said in order so we would know that this is something of great importance. Joy and rejoicing is a common theme seen throughout Scripture as God's people constantly give thanks for experiencing salvation at His hands. Rejoicing more than just having happiness in your heart, it's knowing that who you are and whose you are. As a follower of Christ, you are one of God's children, and you only belong to God. That alone should bring us so much joy that it causes us to rejoice in Him. And if that were not enough, look at what the angel said to the shepherds. In the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 10, they say, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all people. That great joy is Jesus. The long-awaited Messiah had finally come, a Messiah that would defeat the darkness and remove the sin from the world, a gift of grace for all of us that we do not have. This joy can be received if we repent our sin and accept Him so that we can be reborn and dwell within Him. In the book of 1 John, chapter 29, it states, Look, the Lamb of God the one who has taken away the sin of the world. Jesus died to redeem and restore us. He shed his blood to wash away our sins, and he can accomplish great things through us. These are the promises that we need to let echo in our ears whenever fear and anxiety is threatening to stop us dead in our tracks. Paul was locked away in a prison, scorned, beaten, and no reason for hope. Yet he rejoiced because he knew real joy. He knew his Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. We do need to be like Paul and rejoice daily. Rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And as we rejoice, Paul tells us in verse 5, Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. What exactly is Paul telling the Christians in Philippi? What is he telling us? What does it mean when he says, let your gentleness be known? Paul is telling us that we need to be reasonable with one another. We need to stop all our bickering and quarreling and not be so concerned about unimportant matters. We need to seek what is best for everyone and not just oneself. When was the last time you had an argument over something so insignificant? Have you made a decision about something that was concerning more about your own feelings rather than how it would impact others? Look at how we're behaving today. Continuous protests filled with ongoing violence that has lost the real message of why people began protesting in the first place. For example, what started out as a protest concerning racism has rapidly evolved into people's own fleshly wants, creating a culture change movement in the elimination of law and order with the defund the police campaign and narrative. It certainly doesn't appear that people are seeking what's best for everyone, does it? 
As King David said in his cry to God, no one is faithful anymore. People lie to their neighbor and have deception in their hearts. You see, when we stop focusing on what's, what's good and only uh, fill our hearts with the bad, it certainly seems as though the, the good people have vanished from the earth. To put it plainly, garbage in equals garbage out. And that's what we see today. But Paul has included a warning as well. The Lord is near. A statement we see throughout Scripture. A proclamation that Jesus himself made to the people of Israel. But why did Paul include us with a warning? Simply put, Christ will return, and when he does, he brings judgment with him. Now we all know that Jesus will return and judge and hold his people accountable for their deeds. In the book of James, chapter 5, verse 9, he writes, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. As Christians, we all know Christ will come again for the final judgment, but we certainly do not know when this is going to be. But both Paul and James warn believers that even though we may be saved through grace, we will still be held accountable for our actions. And as a Christian, if you live in Christ and He lives in you, how much closer can our judge be? The Lord is near. So we ask ourselves, what are we to do in times such as this? Verse 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So what we are to do in times like these, you ask? First, we're told not to be anxious. The reason Paul says this is simple. God holds these things, our anxieties, right in His hands. Our anxiety will not warn off the anticipated evil. In fact, the evils that we see that impact us may actually turn out for the good. Does not God use tribulation to work out for the better in order to advance His own kingdom? Have we not seen and experienced these things in the past? Being overly anxious is also a sin. It detrusts God's wisdom and power. It doubts the reality of His promises and spoils the temper and comfort of His Word. Now Paul goes on to tell us that the best way to rid our hearts and minds of such things is to pray. We are to pray. Every trouble you have, every doubt, every fear is to be gathered and presented to God in prayer. But we are not just to pray for the things that trouble us the most. Paul tells us that in every situation, no matter what it is, no matter what's going on in our world, no matter what's going on in our own lives, we are to pray. As I mentioned earlier, I myself was caught in Satan's snare and I stopped praying. If you ever had uh, done this or been in that situation, then you know what I'm talking about. You end up feeling absolutely miserable. 
It's like if you, if you were ever a kid and you fell off the monkey bars and got the wind knocked out of you and you can't breathe, it's that type of miserable. It really sucks. You open the door for anything ugly and the world of the flesh starts to take over you. I urge you, if you have ever stopped praying, make sure you run back to God and pray to Him. He will answer you and you will physically feel His peace. This is why Paul tells us to pray in every situation. But we must also pray in a certain manner. And I'm not referring to the Lord's Prayer as Jesus taught us. What Paul is saying is when we pray, we, we first need to thank God for everything that we have. Paul was in prison, yet he gave thanks to the Lord. Although we don't know everything that Paul had prayed about while he was there, but we can certain that he gave thanks for the air in his lungs, the shelter over his head, even though it was a prison, and the opportunity to witness to others who were in that prison. It's written in Scripture that Paul was even able to convert a jailer. So when we pray, we need to thank God for everything we have, regardless of how much or how little it is. We need to thank Him for the lives that we have. We need to thank Him for the family that He had blessed us with. We need to thank Him for His Word and the freedom that we have here in our own country to not only hear it and read it, but also to proclaim it. Every blessing that we have or that is even available to us, we need to thank Him for. We give thanks in all circumstances, knowing that God loves us and is present with us. Then we can make our petition and ask God to carry our burdens. After his cry to God, King David offered in prayer his troubles and prayed with petition. In Psalm chapter 12, verse 3, it says this, May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. You see, David turned over his troubled heart to God by having faith that God is going to take care of everything. Give everything to God and let Him carry your troubles, your worries, and your fears. Paul finally tells us that as we pray, we will receive peace. In verse 7, he says this, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we as believers, we take our anxiety to God in, in prayer and petition, we discover that peace of God. This is not just a hope, but it's a truth. A truth, truth told by the prophet Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 26, verse 3, Isaiah says this, talking of the Lord. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Now watch this. Jesus himself tells us that we will have peace. In the book of John 14 verse 27, Jesus says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Did you catch that? We are not to let our hearts be troubled, and we are not to be afraid. 
I'll say it one more time. We are not to let our hearts be troubled, and we are not to be afraid. He has left his peace with us, and he gives us his peace still to this day. Paul also has told the Corinthians in his letter to them that while they were enduring troubled times in their own town with a dangerous teaching that was threatening their church, that they would have peace. He emphasizes Christ's authority over evil. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Again, Paul here is he's stressing that no matter what the issue is, we are to take our heart and be reassured that no matter what is going on, Jesus is in complete control, and we are to have faith in him and give thanks. Satan, you see, is, is always at work in this world, and right now he's certainly putting in the overtime. You see, it's easy for him to create fear by whispering in the lies in the ears of people so he can effortlessly disrupt and divide non-believers so that they can create the havoc and, and things that we see going on all over the world. But know this, he's also working hard to divide the followers of Christ so that the body of Christ may be divided as well. As he dances in the street over these divisions of the world, nothing more would make him happier than to see that the Christian succumbs to the fears, anxieties, and hatred of today. Believe it or not, he has a plan to divide us Christians too. And it's a plan that is currently in progress. He's doing it on three distinctive subjects. Politics, race, and theological differences. As I said at the beginning of the message, we're seeing this plan to being unfolded, not only with politics and the rise of racism, but what about the church? It's here also. Where, whether the church as the body of Christ or the individual physical churches in our communities, our own human differences are tearing us apart and people are wandering away. Maybe it's about how you feel about a certain issue. Maybe it's about how we're practicing our faith. Remember what Paul said in the beginning? Let your gentleness be known. Ask yourself, have you done this? Have you been reasonable throughout your thoughts and what's best for everyone? If you haven't, what's stopping you? Is it fear of confrontation with someone else? Is it fear that nothing will ever change? Recently, there's been theological differences that has divided one of the largest denominations in the Christian church. You see, the Methodist church, the United Methodist Church, which once thrived, is now divided over an issue concerning the LGBT community and Scripture. A church that is split apart. And look at all the other denominations of Christian faith. Jesus prayed that we would be one, but yet we're divided. Just as we see other divisions in our society, we as God's people must remain faithful and we must, with thanksgiving, present our requests to God. So once we do that, He can provide us with the blessing of His peace 
as we know that he will work all things for the good to further his own kingdom. Now that we know what to do in times like these and how to do it, let's look at Paul's final words as he's written in verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. What Paul's doing here is providing us with a blueprint, and he's naming at least six guidelines for proper thinking. Verse 8 makes it clear that, that if faith committed to success in the pursuit of what is excellent or what is noble requires fine-tuning. And you can fine-tune your faith by thinking when you begin to filter out the thoughts that come into your mind. Think of it as the, the, Brita, the Brita water filter. When you go and you put that under the sink and you turn on the tap, the pitcher's filled with water and there may be impurities that get in the water through the tap. But as it goes through that filter, it filters out those impurities, leaving you with just pure water. You see, after you filter your thoughts, and as you do so, you need to do this. Determine what is positive, what is negative, what is good, what is evil, what is constructive, what is destructive, what is healthy and then what is unhealthy. Your faith will be strengthened or weakened on a daily basis by the thoughts that enter your mind. You have the ability to choose many of your thoughts simply by reading the material you look at, the television programs that you watch, and the deliberate exposures that you choose to encounter. Yet there are several thousands of unsolicited stimuli that can, that can hit the average brain from a variety of unpredictable sources every single day. So consequently, a filtering system must be installed in our minds so we can screen out all the negative things while allowing all the positives to come through. You see, Paul wants us to think of the positives that he had listed. Not only for just today or tomorrow or the next day, but for all time. And by thinking of these things, our hearts will change, and it will change the way we live, the way we act, and the way we react. So you're probably asking yourself, how exactly do we think of these things? The word think in the original Greek translates to ponder, consider, value, and give proper weight to. When you do this, ask yourself, is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it positive? Let's meditate on these things for a quick moment. Things that are true, as opposed to things that are false or lying. True as opposed to insincerity. True in speech and in conduct. Things true stand at the head of Paul's guidelines because the truth is the ground for all of God's commandments and the ground for our obedience. Remember, Christ is the truth. Things noble. 
A man is very much what he thinks. Therefore, think of only those things which are noble in your deepest thought. Noble things strengthen and deepen Christian character and intensify Christian feeling. Character that is formed on such a basis will be dignified. These things are acceptable to God. Things that are right. That which was right is also just. And justice maintains right relationships between all people and maintains a balance in conflict. There is a need for all Christians to do what is right and just always. You see, if a person does a hundred kind acts but fails to do one that is right, then there is a blemish that is cast upon them and it's fatal to their character. Things pure. Pure means that which is sinless or holy, just as God is. There must be pure thinking, pure reading, and pure action. Blessed are the pure in heart. Let our mind dwell on pure themes. By doing this, we can block that which is evil and not dwell on those things. And when we only dwell on what is pure, that leaves very little room for that which is unpure, which consistently is at our doorstep. Things that are lovely. It speaks of something that is pleasing or lovely or beloved. A Christian ought not to be sullen or ill-tempered, unkind or fault-finding. Nothing tends to injure relationships and cause that of faith and religion more than unlovely temper with an eye that is unkind or a brow that is hard and stern. We should observe what is lovely so our hearts remain compassionate and filled with love. Things admirable. These things speak of something which, which people think well, something with, with good reputation. Things such as all men agree in commending. Courtesy, justice, temperance, purity, truth, respect to parents. Men of the world will not hold their praise from men distinguished by these virtues. Christians ought to remember these words written in the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 16. Let not your good be evil spoken of. Right thinking will win the battle against worry and anxiety. Lastly, the apostle tells us this in verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. What Paul is telling the people of Philippi, and he's telling us right here today, that everything that we've heard or read him preach, we are to keep in his hearts, our hearts. Whatever we have seen him do, we are to intimidate. Reverse that. Imitate. Paul's life lived out, exemplified how he spoke and how he preached. Whenever we have learned something from this teaching, we are to do this. Paul has already outlined the kind of humble service that Christ rendered to the world by being born as a human and submitting to death on the cross. Paul has called the Philippian Christians and us today to emulate the mindset that made it possible for Christ to do that. 
He has also shared his personal journey from being a Pharisee under the law to being a disciple of Christ, fully reliant on his grace, sharing in his sufferings so that he too might share in his resurrection. So when we find ourselves in that pit of darkness, remember Paul's teaching. When we feel anxiety over the coronavirus, remember Paul's commands. Whenever we're discouraged, feeling low or unsure of what the truth is, remember Paul's message of prayer. Whenever we become divided, unreasonable, or negative, or angered by that which we have seen and heard in the world today, do not be hasty in our words or rip someone to shreds on social media. Instead, we are to be humble and filter our thinking so that which is the fruit of the Spirit rises within us and pray to our Lord with thanksgiving, giving Him our burdens. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have heard your message and the teachings of Paul that provides us with that blueprint to a better life that leads us directly to you so that you can carry the burdens of each and every day. Lord, we pray that as you are with us, that your spirit will consistently remind us that you are in complete control. And then when we feel these anxieties and fears, that we can, we can come to you and give thanks and provide you with the burdens of the day. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, through your Holy Spirit. Amen.